Joining us now, great to welcome a man who's written a very helpful book. It definitely will be a helpful book. It deals with something we're all going to go through, and uh, so we'll uh, find out uh, what it's all about right now. The title of it is called The Beauty of What Remains and How Our Greatest Fear Becomes Our Greatest Gift. And we're joined today by Rabbi uh, Steve Lader, and he is the senior rabbi at uh, the Wilshire Boulevard Temple out in L.A. That's where he's based. And uh, Rabbi, great to talk with you today. How are you? I'm well done. Thanks. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I had a chance to read through the book, and, uh, and as I said, I mean, everybody's going to deal with, obviously, uh, you know, death and all that. But uh, uh, just reading through the book, uh, you've you've had more than uh, a thousand funerals that you presided over. And uh, that God bless you for that. But uh, this book kind of tells the story of how maybe even in your life, you had to kind of change your attitude toward death a little bit, isn't it? Yes. The, the book is sort of an apology for everything I thought I knew about death and grief and mourning and therefore life itself. Uh Everything I thought I knew about that until my own father died after a 10-year battle with Alzheimer's, and it forced me to rethink my my previous assumptions. Uh, as I say in the prologue of the book, everything I knew about death before my father died, I learned afterwards was just one degree shy of the deepest truth. Mm. And I really, I wrote this book to bring us all to that extra one degree of truth that death comes to teach us about life. Yeah, you talk about Steve the rabbi and then uh, Steve the son, which you got some wonderful stories in the book about uh, you and, and your dad. And uh, obviously anybody that goes into, like you, the, you know, as a rabbi or a priest or a minister, I mean, that's part of the job. But uh, you, it's hard to learn what to do until you, you deal with funerals. And then when it involves your own family, uh, that's really tough, isn't it? Well, it's tough, but also quite enlightening and ennobling. I mean, it, it really, it really being Steve Leader the Son really helped me become better at being Steve Leader the Rabbi, more mm-hmm. authentic, right, uh, and, and more truthful. You know, it caused me to to learn where I was a little bit off the path. One of the things I learned is is that grief is not linear. You know, I, I say in the book, anyone who thinks the shortest distance between two points is a straight line doesn't understand grief. Grief. Despite what we were all taught in Psychology 101, grief does not really come in stages. I don't really believe that because that implies there's a right way to do it. And the, frankly, there's no wrong way to grieve. And grief is not something with a beginning and a middle and an end. It's something with a beginning and a middle. And that's it. So it, I, I, I like to think of it much more like waves as opposed to something that's linear. They, they can be very large and close together at first. They can, they can come further apart. There are days when there are very calm seas. And even even years or decades later, there are times when our back is turned and a rogue wave of grief just comes crashing forward at us. Uh, and, and so we I learned, really, that rather, to extend this wave metaphor a little bit, rather than trying to stand up, you know, chest out, and just take this wave when it comes, which of course means you end up thrashing around upside down and gasping for air and anxious and confused. The better approach is when this wave of grief comes at us, mm. is to lie down and, and let it wash over us and float with it until we can stand up again. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I always thought, uh, I grew up in New York, so I had friends of, of many different religions, but just, you know, from reading your book and, and, and hearing about it, I always thought the Jewish religion kind of had it had it right, because you, you do the, uh, what, the sitting shiva, I believe it's called, if I pronounce it right, where, where people come over, and it's, I guess it's over a course of a week. I mean, you really kind of face it uh, head on, where a lot of 
religions, maybe just kind of quickly, you know, gloss it over. And maybe that's like you just talked about grief. You have to kind of get into it a little bit to get out of it. So, uh, but I always thought your religion did the best job of dealing with that. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think there, there's almost nothing about the human condition that the ancient rabbis didn't think through very deeply. Mm. And, and I don't think they were ever there, uh, ever better than when it came thinking through how can we support what human beings need the most when they suffer a loss? And, and I, I, I think that, uh, that the sages were very wise about it. And it really is very much like that wave metaphor about, about floating with it, sitting with it, being with it, and not avoiding it. And by the way, when we visit people who are grieving, we ought not to avoid the subject of their loved one either. We shouldn't try to distract people from their grief. We should try and hold their hand and walk through it with them. Yeah, I think so many people are afraid of what to say or they don't know what to say, but uh, you're honoring the person who just passed away by talking about them, right? So that, that should be a good thing, right? Yeah. And also, I would say, very often people call me and say, you know, Steve, my, uh, my best friend's father just died. I'm going over there now. What should I say? And my answer is always the same. Just show up. Right. Just show up. You know, Doug, even after all these years, when I'm standing outside of a home, ready to walk in where there's been a death. I don't know what I'm going to say. All I know is I have to walk through that door. And if I walk through that door as my authentic self, if I just show up, everything else will unfold as it should. So I would say to all your listeners today, just show up and be authentically who you are. Don't put on some phony persona, you know, just be who you were in life with this family. Be that same person with them in death. Walk in that door, and the rest will unfold. Yeah, yeah good, good advice. You talk in the book, you have a chapter on uh, eulogies, and obviously you've, you've had to do many of those. A lot of them you didn't know the person, so that was kind of a challenge for you, right? But dealing with the eulogies is uh, an important thing. I actually think it, it is, but I actually, to be honest, writing eulogies for people I don't know is easier than writing them for the people I do. Because when I'm writing a eulogy for someone I don't know, I am relying entirely on the perspective of the family members and friends who I interview, right? Mm -hmm. So my job is to get their perspective right. But when I really know someone, I know whether I'm getting it right or not in a much deeper way. So it's actually much more difficult. Uh, to describe something you know than something you've just been told about or someone you know versus someone you've only been told about. Um, But in any case, I think the deepest point in that chapter on eulogies in the book is that it's really a mistake to think that the minister or, or the priest or the imam or the rabbi or even your best friend who gets up to speak, that those people are actually writing our eulogies. It isn't true. We write our own eulogies with the pen of our lives. Mm. The way we live determines what's said about us when we die. We write our own eulogy, not not the clergy. Just to touch briefly, uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but we mentioned uh, you, know, you learned more from your dad's passing. He sadly went through the Alzheimer's, which lasted several years, right? So that was a, a long trek for you there, but that, that was the experience that changed your life, right? Changed your outlook. Yes, yes. Yes, and it taught me, once again, to appreciate, and this is why the title is what it is. It taught me to, Alzheimer's is a stripping away, you know. It, it, it's a lesson in essentialism. And 
it really taught me to appreciate the beauty of what remained about my father rather than only grieving what was being lost. Uh, and, and being grateful for what remains, boy, that's a, that's a pretty good way to go through life. Yeah. And obviously, if, if you have any kind of faith, you, that person's going someplace. They don't really die, right? So we'll, we'll see them again. I'm, <laughs> I'm a believer. I'll tell you, I see my dad every day. He visits me every day. He still makes me laugh. He still scolds me. He still teaches me. Uh, he still entertains me. I, I, he's with me every day. Uh, you know, the death of our bodies is not the death of our of our souls right. by any means. Well, I'm, I'm counting on that, Rabbi. <laughs> yeah, well, take that one to the We're in no hurry to go, but when it's time, you know, you're going someplace, and you'll and we'll be back someday. So, yeah, that's why I look at it. <laughs> well, the name of the book again is "The Beauty of What Remains: How Our Greatest Fear Becomes Our Greatest Gift," and it's written by Rabbi Steve Later, our guest on the program. Do you have a website, uh, Rabbi? You want to direct people to get more information about the book? Yeah, I think Instagram is best, Steve underscore leader, L-E-D-E-R, for Instagram. And you can go to the links in the bio to find the book. It's on Amazon. It's at your local bookstore. came out uh, January 5th. Right. So, uh, you know, you can get it. And you can always Google me. I'm easy to find. But Instagram is probably best. Great. We'll also put a link on our website as well. But, Rabbi, real pleasure talking to you. Good luck with the book. Please keep in touch. And uh, next time uh, you have something uh, you'd like to talk about, we'd love to have you back. But thanks for being with us today. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.